What's up, Fight Fans? It is Monday, the 11th of December 2017, and this is the Monday Morning Analyst here on MMAFighting.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast. Three parts to it, as always. An overview of the weekend in the first. We'll have to take a look at some multimedia in the second segment, and then a look at what's coming up in the week ahead in the third. Now, there was a ton of MMA and boxing and kickboxing over the weekend. We couldn't possibly hope to get to all of it. I know that Rico Verhoeven had a nice win over in Glory. There was a lot of other events. I can't even begin to. One FC had an event or one championship, whatever, had an event as well. Lots of good stuff happened over the weekend. We just don't have enough time to get to it. But here's what we are going to talk about. Let's talk about some of the major highlights from the weekend, right? We just don't have enough time to get to everything, but we do need to discuss the most important things. So let's do that now. Number one, I'm going to start with UFC Fight Night 123 and UFC Fight Night Swanson versus Ortega. This took place at the pardon me, the Save Mart Center in Fresno, California, had an attendance of 7,605 for a gate of 568,290. Not not great attendance. Um, smaller card, of course, but still it's a little bit surprising for the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Nevertheless, Brian Ortega, T-City, man, what do you say about this kid defeating Cub Swanson at 322 of the second round? Now, let me say something up front. I did a post-fight special on my personal YouTube channel about this event. If you want to see that, I'll link that up here. You can watch the whole thing because we're not going to go into the whole card today. But for a bigger breakdown, you can look up there. Now, with that being said, Ortega over Swanson. We're going to look at some of this in the second segment, so I don't want to get into too much other than to say, number one, as I mentioned on Saturday night, this is just great to see the featherweight division. I feel like we've talked about this a little bit ad nauseum on the live chat, but you know how much there's new blood coming in, ushering out the old guard. A lot of times it's a slow trickle. A lot of times it doesn't happen hardly at all. Look at heavyweight. Look how many more senior fighters you have there in terms of age. And you still have a couple of those in almost every division to some extent. But at featherweight, you're really seeing this pronounced changing of the guard. The two wins by Holloway over Aldo. Now this finishing of Swanson. You know, we'll see what Frankie Edgar has left. According to UFC President Dana White, after Saturday's fights, there was some buzz about potentially giving Ortega a title shot. It looks like Dana White does not want to go in that direction, thinking more about Frankie Edgar. Personally, I'm in favor of that. As much as I like what uh, Brian Ortega brings to the table, nevertheless, I still feel like I could get one or two more performances out of him before I really put him in with a title shot. Max Holloway, I think, developed a little bit quicker in terms of, uh, again, as we noted even last week, this mastery of the fundamentals. But here we are. Two weeks in a row on the Monday Morning Analyst, both times we're focusing on a new crop of really elite, sharp, precise, finishing featherweights. I should tell you a lot about how that division has really turned a corner. Very, very excited to see that. Now, what can we really draw from this in terms of the technique that we saw? Because there's a lot of other storylines in terms of Cub Swanson's last fight in his UFC contract and the like. I mean, here's what I would say. Look. Cub Swanson, I thought, was looking really good. I went back and I watched the fight two more times just to see, just to make sure what I saw was confirmed, and I and I and I was liking what I was seeing from him. You know, he was doing. He he, he mentioned in the post-fight press conference that he was picking apart Brian Ortega, and I would agree that that is true. I went back and I watched. He was doing a lot of excellent digging to the body whenever he would go high to the head, and 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 Ortega deserves some credit for being a little bit more defensive than I thought, especially in that first round. But in the second round, a lot of those shots were sneaking around the gloves. You would see Ortega up here, and it would still find a niche in there to come around and smack. Um, 
uh, Brian Ortega. So Cub Swanson was finding a way to sneak through. He was finding some uppercuts in the clinch. But ultimately, what looks like it cost him to me was that whenever we talk about someone's submission prowess, we have to say what that means. Because to be good at submissions can mean a lot of different things. You have to do a lot of different things to get a submission. It's not just the submission itself. It's the recognition. It's the pattern awareness. It's the ability to uh, you know, probably either control someone and then work your way to it or jump on it. Or There's just a lot of different things that go into making any kind of submission happen. Or you can get a person that is you know good at submissions in the sense that they've got two of them and then... They don't have really anything else, but they can make those two work for them really well. That person is good at that submission, but they may not be good at submissions generally. Brian Ortega, it appears to me, is good at submissions generally. First of all, his name is T-City, right? Triangle City, because apparently this guy was just a monster on his way up to black belt triangling people, right? So there's that to begin with. Now, you saw in this one uh, a bit of an anaconda choke attempt, and then you also saw finishing with the guillotine. You know, he can do a lot of different things. And I don't think we've seen in his career, I know not at the UFC level, but curiously, have we seen any, like, Kimuras or Americanas from him? Let's see. Triangle, 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 rear naked choke, triangle, guillotine, guillotine. So he's got two guillotines in a row, which is pretty impressive, although very different kinds. Um, These are the more, well, guillotine's funny because it's actually not high percentage. But generally speaking, these are the more high percentage ones. So he's probably fairly qualifying as somebody who's good at submissions generally. I'm just pointing out, you have to identify what the reasons are for this. And I think what he saw in this one was, Brian Ortega has really adapted pure jiu-jitsu for MMA in a very, very seamless, easy way. Um, he is really good about attacking the neck, and he's good at attacking the neck, even if he doesn't get it, because he's good at finding gaps in your posture. You know, some guys, when you pull on the neck and you pull on the head and you're hand fighting and your collar tying up, you can tell their posture's really good. And when they lock up in the clinch and you've got a wizard, you've got an underhook, they're really digging your posture straight and, and their hips are tight to your hips. And it can just be really hard to break that posture. You can tell one of the things that Cub Swanson likes to do is he likes to be he likes to be focused enough that he's following a game plan, but he likes to be loose enough where he can kind of get into a rhythm and flow. And I thought a couple of times, you'll go through these slides, we'll see in the second segment, you'll see a lot of times his posture is not that great. You saw Brian Kelleher made Damian Stasiak just pay for it, you know, a few fights ago, right? I mean, it's it's you're seeing it a lot more commonly. If your posture is not really accounted for in fights, and, and it wasn't like he had, like Cubs Swanson had bad posture, but I bet you, I bet you there was just some moments there where, and you can go back and see them too, but you can go and you can see Ortega pulling on the head and, and getting some resistance from Swanson, but clearly not enough because no one attacks the head that often if they don't feel like they can. Because look, if you try to wrap the head and you don't do it properly, they're going to come up behind your elbow. They're going to, and, and not your elbow, I'm sorry, behind your tricep and shoulder. They're going to come up and push out, and now they're going to take your back. In fact, they almost that almost happened to Ortega once against the fence, but he was able to turn and face him, and so it was okay. But Generally speaking, just really good at understanding when someone's posture is low enough to go for those kinds of head attacks. And then once he locks on, he does so, so quickly, so expertly, 
there's just no room for error. We'll look at that in the second segment. Some of the other things to pay attention to on this card that were worthy and, and, and notable, the best performance out of Gabriel Benitez over Jason Knight. Real big question about whether Jason Knight should have come back that fast in that co-main event role. He just didn't seem like himself. A couple of times he did, but he just seemed like he was, I don't know, moving through water a little bit. Um, not to say that Gabriel Benitez didn't look awesome. He did, but... Let's see what happens with Jason Knight going forward. The big one, though, Marlon Marais, Marlon Marais defeating Aljamain Sterling. Whoa, 107 of the first round, man. What do you say about that? Via vicious KO. Aljamain Sterling is just not setting up his takedowns, and Marlon Marais read it quickly and absolutely crushed him, and it was a vicious KO. Now, it looks like on social media, Aljamain Sterling saying he's basically okay. You know, when he says okay, we mean like in the short term okay. You know, that was a real bad loss. If I'm Aljamain Sterling, I hope he doesn't do the Michael Bisping thing or. You know what I mean? Like getting right back out there and trying to do it again. We're already having questions about Jason Knight, who was in the fight above him. Maybe he got back out there too quickly. Now, he had a bit of a prolonged beating against Ricardo Lamas. This was just a quick knockout. That's a little bit different. But nevertheless, just to give your brain some some space. We know Gunnar Nelson speaking about this, I think, the past week. Just taking time off, even if he doesn't really need to take time off, just to give himself a little bit of breathing room. A young guy like Aljamain Sterling probably wants to get right back out there and make the most of his prime, and I understand that, but... Some caution could probably be exercised here. Um, the big point that occurred to me after the fight was that if you want to be an elite bantamweight, boy, you got to be able to strike it out at, for prolonged periods against guys who can do two things. Number one, m- many of these guys can thump, and on top of just hitting hard, they're craftsmen at the same time. You know, there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of fates, faints, there's a lot of fakes. They're really, really, really good up there. Plus, they hit hard. You think about it, now you got Marlon Marais up there. Plus, you got Cody Garbrandt. TJ Dillashaw, I don't think he's necessarily like a monster power puncher, but he finds a lot of open shots. You can see that now. How about John Dotson, who can thump up there? How about John Lineker? Less of a craftsman, but certainly part of that, that um, you know, um, the guys who can hit hard. And Dominic Cruz, kind of the opposite of Lineker. Doesn't necessarily hit hard, but just constant movement. He can fight a feet. He can fight on the feet, you know, Cody Cody Garbrandt notwithstanding, for a very long time. So you see what I mean? The guys at the top of that division, man, they can all strike. They can spend a lot of time up there against a wide variety of opponents if they have to. A lot of them can hit hard. A lot of them do a lot of movement, a lot of faking, a lot of trap setting. A lot of them can do both. And it looks to me like Sterling's striking has come along uh, quite nicely. It's made tremendous, tremendous progress. But he still sort of naturally is more of a ground operator. And I think that's okay. Nothing wrong with that per se. But you saw in this case that um, he was forced into some suspect decision-making relatively quickly, uh, and ultimately he, he was forced to pay for it. So I think for Sterling, the next thing to do is to really, really work on a certain level of comfortability on the feet, a certain level of just, um, in, 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 in his most basic form, acumen, just really, really, really working on that. And I think... Once he has more of a cushion on the feet, that'll make better, more informed, patient, smart choices on the ground. And you've already seen what kind of work he can do there. He's obviously um, quite talented. Uh, We jump around a little bit on this. Alexis Davis defeating Liz Carmouche. Split decision, 29-28, 28-29, 29-28. Alexis Davis um, obviously showing tremendous ability on the ground. Hitting that OOPA sweep in the third round all the way to the end, although she was badly beaten up. Liz Carmouche looking pretty good at women's flyweight. Still very, very strong. You wondered how her strength 
would translate up a weight class really good. I think she had that one, like Osoto Gari, where she just slammed her to the ground. So that was pretty vicious. Andrea Sugmentat defeating Luke Sanders. We talked about that stoppage again up here on the post-fight special on Saturday night. You could have some questions about it. I still think it's basically defensible. But the right hand absolutely crushing him with taking that fight on short notice. Luke Sanders is a very, very good fighter. I think you're going to see him make some more noise going forward. Um, but that just that was such a tremendous shot that he didn't see coming. What could you really do? Uh, Alex Perez getting a nice win with the Anaconda choke. Couldn't quite get it the first time because he couldn't quite scoop the head with his abdomen. Tried it again later on and got it. That was pretty nice. Frankie Signs and Marab Devalashvili having the most exhausting fight to watch imaginable. And one more thing to note here. Davi Ramos against Chris Grutzemacher. I mean, throwing him up in the air for a mat return, sinking a hook and a choke, rolling him through, snatching him off of his base, and then as you snatch him off of his base, finishing the choke while putting in the other hook. That's about as high level as it gets, folks. That is that is insane by Davi Ramos, for, or Havos, however you pronounce it. For him to be able to do something like that is just incredible. There's not a lot of guys that get you in motion in the direction they want, and as they transition through the position with you at incremental stages, they're just adding uh, more problems for you, both in the positional control as well as submission threat. Um, he's amazing when he wants to be. Still makes some weird decisions on the feet. And, of course, Trevin Giles making that great adjustment against Antonio Brago Neto in the first round on the ground was not on the same level as him in the second round did a much better job sticking and moving working behind the jab not getting his back along the fence creating separation and then just closed the show in the third round also quite good to see the return of josh rosenthal as a referee after his sort of breaking bad stint uh, on top of that i would say that the commentary duo of paul felder and brendan fitzgerald were really good really good um those guys got their start for the UFC on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series, and they have already matured beyond just that, which was only over the summer. Um, curious to see what they could do. That was a strong debut on Fox Sports 1 for the both of them as a commentary duo. I know Paul Felder spoke uh, and did the commentary for UFC Norfolk, but this was him and Fitzgerald together on Fox Sports 1 together. Um, strong. Very, very strong duo. Also, this card, a really great showcase of bantamweight. You had the Moraes Sterling fight. You had the Benito Lopez Albert Morales fight, which was crazy in its own right. Uh, Sukmantat Sanders, bantamweight. Perez versus De Thomas, bantamweight. Frankie Sainz versus Marav Devalashvili, bantamweight. You had Alejandro Perez versus Yuri Alcantara, not the greatest fight in the world, but bantamweight. Strong showcase of the bantamweight, at, at what it looks like at the upper tier, and how strong it is all the way through as well. Now, now let's talk about a little bit of boxing, which we don't normally do, but this was a bit of an exception. Vasily Lomachenko, Vasily Lomachenko, taking on Guillermo Rigondeau. Um, this was a very interesting fight. First time in boxing where both competitors, each on their own, had two Olympic gold medals, so they brought four to the table between them. Uh, this was contested, I think, at junior lightweight, 130 pounds, although Rigondeau has spent the majority of his contest at super band, or his uh, career, I should say, at super bantamweight, 122, so he's jumping up a couple weight classes there. This was, on paper, expected to be very competitive. In the end, was not competitive at all. Now, it's known that Rigondeau does a lot less and gets more out of it. He doesn't bite on a lot of fakes or feints. He doesn't He doesn't fall into a lot of traps. He does a, just enough to win. Has you know, been accused of being boring. Has himself complained about not being able to get on television at times. And you can see why. He doesn't have necessarily the most fan-friendly, action-oriented style. Which 
to some extent, did keep him out of trouble in this one. You saw a little bit of the shoulder rolling he was doing, a little bit of the uh, bending over at the waist. Um, you know, it can be hard to hit a guy like that. Obviously, not in MMA, but certainly in boxing, that can be a thing. So there was some muted activity on the part of Rigondeau not really falling for everything that Lomachenko was doing. But in the end, I mean, my God, I've, I just don't know if I've ever seen a boxer like Lomachenko that w in terms of what he can do. He can do everything. He can work behind the jab, cut angles, pivot, counter off the pivot. He slips punches like it's taking a breath of air. He makes the extraordinary look routine. Um, now, he's still got a long way to go in terms of amassing a body of work at the professional level where I think he can reasonably claim to be the top pound-for-pound -pound fighter. But if you just look at him from a talent perspective, he appears to be the genuine article. He can just do it all. Timothy Bradley was just marveling at his footwork, how he gets into position, gets out. He had one time where he has Rigondeau was again doing that bit where he was sort of folding over at the waist and, and kind of shoulder rolling away. And Lomachenko just literally danced around him. Uh, and in fact, you saw Rigondeau getting a little bit kind of frustrated, double overhooking, not exactly headbutting, but, you know, really try to keep him close and not just trying to slow everything down because Lomachenko, while the bigger guy, also looked to be almost a quicker guy, uh, working again, very well behind the jab, um, making Rigondeau pay for his jab, throwing four or five shots behind it and and just essentially overwhelming him to the point where Rigondeau just quit on the stool after the six rounds. It was like, you know, I don't want anymore. And he basically had identified a hand injury. And I know some people say, well, look, if you know you're beaten and your hand is injured, why go on? Which is probably true. Like, this is how you make your money. If your hand doesn't work and you basically know that you're in over your head, what is the point in wasting everybody's time? Okay, fair enough. But it also kind of looked like he had a dispirited effort from the get-go. He was trying to get out of action and overhooking from the first round on, you know, he was just trying to slow everything down and just, it didn't, you know, if you can't go on because the, it makes no sense to, then why should you? But you got to make sure that before that happens, you really kind of made sure you gave every, yourself every chance to win. Um, and I just don't feel like Rick and Doe did that. So I don't really know exactly what's going to be next for Lomachenko. We'll see. But in my judgment, i just, I don't know on the planet who has that kind of refinement of talent in combat sports. I really don't. That is such a deep, deep, deep level of specific mastery that you're not going to see too many guys like that ever in your life. That was pretty incredible. Uh, also, there was an Invicta card over the weekend. Invicta FC 26, Maya versus Niedvich. Of course, Scottish Rite Temple in Kansas City, Missouri. Don't have any numbers on attendance or anything like that. Um, very quickly, Jennifer Maya winning against, I never can pronounce her name right, Agnieszka Niedvich. 49-46 uh, across the board. Hard to believe that either of these ladies, in particular Maya, wouldn't be very strong contenders for a title, if not outright winners in the UFC, given the current crop of women who are there. But the big one, of course, on that card, there were some other interesting winners. Lots of catchweight fights, four of them on an eight-fight card, so that's never a good thing. The whole point of Invicta is so they can avoid the catchweight problem. But nevertheless, Mackenzie Dern making strawweight and... Winning at 445 of the third round via armbar. A couple things to note about this fight with Mackenzie Dern. That armbar was nice. And I noticed that rather than putting the outside leg across the face, which is what, you know, if you're if you're on mount and you're sitting for an armbar, one of your legs traditionally is going to be over their face. One is going to be just behind the arms. So the arms split your legs, right? The one that goes over the face is used to control posture. If you're laying on the ground and your friend just puts your his finger right here, you're not going to be able to sit up. It's going to be very, very hard. So imagine a leg across your face. And 
There are ways around that, though. If you can catch the leg when it comes over, especially if it's in transition, you can use it to put it behind you or at least hold it at bay, and you can use that to sit up. You can do a lot of things with it. She didn't do that, Mackenzie Dern. She put it across the face, but then behind, she almost crisscrossed her, not her feet, her legs. The right leg, or whatever it was, the, the inside leg went to the outside of the face, it looked like to me, and then for sure, the outside leg, the one that normally covers the face, it tucked behind the far side armpit. And I think she did that because she didn't want to lose what it would normally happen is if sometimes you can put it over the face. If you get it over the face, you got them dead to rights. If you don't, they can stand up with it. I think as an insurance policy, she just chucked it behind the far side armpit because that way she can, you can probably buck a little bit with that, but not enough for Mackenzie Dern to not get the submission. Of course, she got it. What can you say about the striking? She had a good overhand uh, left kick combo that was landing. She was catching, uh, what was her name? Uh, Caitlin Medeiros as she was circling out a couple of times. But you could see she was getting timed walking in. You know, she moved side to side, but in a little bit more of a predictable way. And as she was walking in to meet Medeiros across the cage, she was getting countered just by her sort of linear forward predictable movement. So some things to work on there. She was only throwing like two, three strike combinations, which is not bad. You know, again, we're talking about somebody in development. But I think we're just going to have to say if she keeps progressing, sky's probably still the limit. But definitely still some progression on the feet that's worthy to have there. I think she's just she's she's not as careful about entering the pocket as she could be, and she was eating a few jabs along the way. Something to keep in mind for the rest of that. Uh, and then, of course, last but certainly not least, as we pick this up here, there was a Bellator event. It made virtually no noise, but it did exist. Um, this, of course, was the Bellator 190 Carvalho versus Sakara at the Nelson Mandela Forum in Florence, Italy. There was a box, a kickboxing portion to this. Uh, Raymond Daniels won on this. Joe Schilling won on this. Of a unanimous decision. John Wayne Parr won on this. Jesus, John Wayne Parr. I think he has like, how many fights does he have? Almost like 100 pro fights. Almost 100 pro wins. Gabriel Varga won on this. Kevin Ross losing via split decision. So that's never great. Uh, but at the top of that, Brandon Gertz won in the co-main event with a nice vicious KO. He's a very, very heavy-handed guy. Leaning all his nose, knee, and foot a la Holly Holm. But he has big power. Uh, and then Rafael Carvalho winning against Alessio Sakara at just 44 seconds into the first round. They, they were sort of striking at, in the pocket, caught him. Sakara backs up, and he just ended him against the fence. Really not a whole lot to it. Carvalho has not made a lot of noise as the Bellator middleweight champion. I don't think a lot of folks know it. But the dude is 15-1. and one. Um, Let's see. Since joining Bellator, he beat Brian Rogers via TKO in the first round. Okay. Then he, beat, he split decision Joe Schilling. Then he beat Brandon Halsey. Then he beat Melvin Manhoff twice, stopping him the second time, and now Alessio Sakara. Now, I'm not here to say that's the most impressive middleweight record I've ever seen, but maybe it's time to consider that he's a little bit better than I think we thought he was after that terrible fight against Joe Schilling. Um, no, excuse me, the first one against Melvin Manhoff in Boise, Idaho. That was the one where I just couldn't believe the scoring in that one, or anything else. He certainly has improved. It's worth noting that as well. Okay, let's do this. Let's take a look at the second segment now. Brian Ortega, T-City. Now, here's what I am expecting. I'm expecting for the T-City win to come out via Gracie Breakdown, if it hasn't already. And I'm expecting their Gracie Breakdown to be better than anything I could possibly show you. I don't, I don't pretend otherwise. But I just want to show you from my perspective, not something that they'll miss. They might actually get it, get it better than I ever could. I'm not saying that. But just what stuck out to me about it. He does some things so simply, but so ably that it enables him to do what he ultimately does with these chokes. Let's look at the first choke he tried in the first round that didn't work. 
and maybe how he got close, but not quite. And then let's take a look at the second round and see what he did there. Again, if there's a Gracie breakdown that's coming out, you should watch that too. You should watch that first. But I, this is my podcast, and so I just want to figure out what stood out to me about Brian Ortega in all of this, including readjusting in midair and everything else. Let's figure out that now. So here we have Brian Ortega and Cub Swanson in the first round. Now, there's a lot that happened before that. You can see total strikes. Swanson was kind of doing pretty well against Ortega, but in the end, he would lose by submission. And we talked about the striking a little bit in the first segment. Let's talk about what we see here with this particular slide. They're locked up, and Cub Swanson's doing two things. He's got a hand on one hip and a hand on the other hip. Now, he'll move the right hand out of the way to fire the right leg up the gut, but that's basically what's happening. But look here. Look at the position of the heads. Now, they're going to be relatively equal in one sense because we can't see Cubs. You can only see Brian's here. Cubs is going to be on the other side, the left side of Ortega's head. But look whose shoulders are above the other guy. That is a problem. If my shoulder is level with your neck if it's, is, is, or above your neck, that is when I become um, available. That's when I become ready to guillotine you or at least you know threaten it in some kind of way and you see it here and against a guy like Ortega you just can't relax in these positions you got to keep it at range man you can't you can't do that now what is it that stands out to me about Brian Ortega that is worth mentioning look he's good at so many things there's so many of these little details he does that are tremendous but what stands out to me is that his catch is very 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 quick not just that he locks the catch up quickly Here's what stands out to me. They were Everyone was oohing and on about him adjusting that choke in the second round in the air. And we'll talk about that because that is absolutely impressive. But that's really not the most impressive thing about him. The most impressive thing about him is that once he begins to attempt a submission, it's very quick because he can immediately put the key into the groove very, very easily. And it looks like it's something you just do. It is not. For a lot of people, it takes a lot of time to get the feel right before you can ever get anything. That goes as much for a choke as it does for a, any kind of front headlock, any kind of way to pinch the armbar between your knees when you finish it. Lots and lots and lots and lots of different ways in jiu-jitsu. His first strike to begin to lock up position automatically gets him like 80-90% of the way there where even if he had to stop there and choke, he still might get it. But the point being is for a lot of people, they have to climb to that position and slowly work their way in. He can slap it on, but the word slap sounds like lazy or quick or not with enough finesse or precision. And that's exactly what Brian Ortega has. He has the slap of it because it's quick and it's hard and it's fast. But it's also precise and focused and locked in. It, I can't overstate how hard that is to do. That is very, 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 very difficult to do. To be able to find that initial groove to begin the end of the submission, but to do so quickly, to do so accurately, to do so where minimal follow-up adjustments are required to cinch it closed. It just seems obvious. It's not. A lot of times guys will get submissions in MMA because they just horsepower it. And this one was a little bit of that in the second round. But more so than anything, his catch, his initial locking it on is so good. It's so good. Let's see how the, he does that. We're going to go through these slides here. All right. So you can see what happens is he's pushing on the hip. Cup Swanson is he's pushing on both hips, kind of the leg on one and the hip on the other. He's going to walk back. Now, look at the hands here of Brian Ortega. They come apart. 
Here they're locked. Here they come apart. And why is he doing that? You're going to see him drop this right hand, and it looks to me like open up the hip a little bit of Swanson. He's going to pull Swanson open like he's a dance partner, and his left hand is going to catch like that. See how he's going to grip up here? Now he's gripping. Here the forearm is kind of a little bit separated. Now it's draped across the back. Look at Cub Swanson's posture. Look how Brian Ortega always keeps kind of his chest on the back of the head. If he can, his chest on the back of the neck, right? Always weighing it down. That's, he doesn't really pull with collar ties, does he? He just puts his weight on top and lets that drag you to where he needs to go. And then once he's got you down, he's going to switch his hips. Boom. He's going to come to this side and he's got the catch. Now, what do you notice about that? And again, this may not be the... I don't know that everyone calls this a catch. Some people think call it like a punch through. When I say catch, it's not like your elbow stops here. The catch is when you lock it and then you drive across. One of the things that's really necessary for an arm in guillotine is that the arm that is choking, you kind of want to think of it like thumb to shoulder. You want to think of it like a scoop in. The elbow has to scoop in. But what really matters to me here is you've got to make sure you're deep enough behind them so that initial bump with the bicep here on the back of the shoulder, it really should be kind of shouldered to the back of the neck, right? You really want to catch it in that armpit. But it has to be really high up, or I should say, not high in this sense, it should be close to their shoulders as possible. Because what's going to save you is if you have, if you are shoving their head underneath them, if you are straining the back of the head, if you are straining the back of the neck, not the crown, right? But you're so far that you're shoving that inside, that's what you want. That's what you're looking for. That's what's necessary. He catches it here. You can see his fist. And within an instant, look at the clock. He drives it down. See that? Look at here. Here, his elbow is up, almost like he's doing a spinning back elbow, Anderson Silva, Tony Fricklin style. But then he jumps on top and puts his weight on it. Now look at the weight of Cub Swanson. It's underneath the chest, underneath the neck, underneath the shoulder. All of that is scooped up under there, and he's just going to lean on that. And now look at the left hand. The right hand is going to come through and squeeze everything together, right? He's going to pinch almost his his elbows together. When you do that, if you've ever been lifted weights before, if you've ever like done a cable crossover, right? When you bring your elbows together, what happens? You can feel the center of your chest flex. He's going to squeeze all that in together. And why is he going to do that? Because this is nifty. He's going to use that to catch the outside of his right arm. His left hand, the shooting through arm, is going to drive through and catch it. Look at the, look at the timing here. We're just a barely a nanosecond past. And what he's going to do is he's going to use that to lock up. And you'll notice the hand is not all the way through. It's about 80% through, even maybe even 90% through for this. But what he does is he uses his left arm to catch the right bicep. He's going to drop that right arm down and around. And as he wrenches the choke tight, he's going to use that to pull his hand the rest of the way. Rather than trying to fight this hand through, he's going to let the mechanics of the squeeze and the final motion that can't really be stopped by Cub Swanson, because look how deep he is behind that elbow. What's Cub Swanson going to do? He's going to hand fight with the other hand? I don't think so. So watch this. Boom. He drops that down and comes out and around. Now look at how deep the hand is. Let's go back. Look real quickly. He started here. You can barely see the fingertips. But as he drops the elbow, that cranks it out even more. Then he comes out and up. Look at that. That is... So all it took was catch, 
jump through, shove everything under, bring the elbows together, catch the bicep, drop the hand down, come out and around and wrench up, and now you are in trouble. Folks, that is a very, very, very efficient setup by by Brian Ortega. We're three it took him all of three seconds to get here. You have to understand when someone is locking up a submission and they're advancing, it takes a certain amount of awareness about what's happening to you and then to think through the solutions very, very quickly. Pattern recognition, understanding muscle memory. And by the time your brain is beginning to process what he's doing to you, he's already advancing to the next step. So it's just too late. It's just too late. It is a very, very what stands out to me about everything. What Brian Ortega does is his jujitsu for MMA technique. His setups and his application are extremely efficient. Very little wasted movement. Very little wasted technique. Very little uh, interference because it's so precise. He knows how far to push, how far not to push. How to, how to catch in the right position to allow for the kind of push you need. And then how to finish it up without much interference while sealing the choke. It's super impressive, you guys. Super impressive. Now what's he going to do? This, this I love too. From here, if they were on their knees, you'd see a gator roll. He would tuck his head in this space here between the leg, hip, and the arm. You would tuck your head here and you'd roll him, but you're standing. Now you'd have to snap him down. If you snap him down, you could lose it. Plus, sometimes gator rolling man can be hard, especially against a strong guy like Cub. I mean, you may not be able to do it. It's just not, it's not, it's not always there for you. T-City knows this, so he's going to step around. Now watch, he's blocking this outside leg. So if you're blocking that leg, where do you think he's going to turn to? Of course, past the blocking leg. You're going to go to the same side you're blocking. He's just going to rotate around with that blocking leg. He's actually going to come behind both here in a second. You'll see. But he rotates around. Oops, excuse me. He rotates around, and then he just sits like that. Now here's the best part about it. Holding the choke. He doesn't slam to the ground. He doesn't fall super hard. He naturally just swings and guides himself. So he's blocking, going in the blocking direction while turning in a circular way. Right Again, it's much easier to get a takedown if you can go in a circular versus a linear path, even if it's just a sort of a pulling down motion. And this is my favorite part. Remember this right leg here that's doing the blocking? Watch this. He comes all the way around, and here he goes. He's going to use this little instep with the emotion, that circular motion, to whip him over. See that? This little hook is going to help guide Swanson over. It doesn't do the flipping. It just sort of makes sure he goes in that other direction that he wants him to go. Whoop, there he goes. I'm telling you, efficient, efficient technique. He gets right to business. Nothing wasted. Nothing extra. There is no fat on that, ladies and gentlemen. Very, very, very lean steak, so to speak. From T-City. So now where are we? We're in trouble if you're Cub Swanson. Big trouble. Look at this choke. Here's what Swanson does. He wants to push up on the elbow and he puts his hands together to do it, right? Here you see it. He's got his hands together. He's trying to push up with one and pry open with the other. To If you can break the seal, so to speak, of the lock, obviously the choke goes away, right? Or at least you can just create enough of an opening to catch your breath or not go out. Ortega knows this. Watch Ortega. He's going to use this leg. Now what's he going to use it for? to catch that elbow and he's going to use that elbow to pop it off see that now he's got your elbow too i love this he must people must do this in practice and he must come around and catch that elbow 
pops it off. See that? Now he just has the one hand to work on the choke. Now he eventually gives it up because look how much better he's got his spine aligned here. Look at the spine here. It's it's tilted, but it's not it's not terrible. I mean, it's pretty look, it's pretty aligned right here. He pops the elbow and he comes off. But now after popping it off, sure Swanson gets it back. But you can't do a whole lot with it at this point because now look how much more turned he is. He's really got the abdomen behind the head. Now, it's not quite perfect. He could be scooping a little bit, but that's definitely tight. In fact, to me, if the fight had continued, he would have stopped him here. I'll show you why. This continues. I mean, look at the face. Swanson is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, you guys. Look at the face of an experienced, high-level black belt. And I use that for MMA purposes here in this fight. Yeah, you know, <laughs> urgency is, is, is a euphemism in this case. So what's Ortega trying to do? He's trying to rotate into him, right? Curve that spine, hook everything in, bring it in tight, and compress the head, compress the abdomen against it, and just crunch everything together. Swanson doesn't want to allow... I mean, look at that. He is probably gurgling here, right? He's probably gurgling here. So what's he want to do? He wants to keep going away and do that Three Stooges bit. Now, there's a moment here where he shoots his right leg back and tries to come up, but when he does, he realizes pretty quickly he's going to get... You know, power guillotined or or finished pretty quickly at that point. So he goes back down. Now Ortega keeps chasing here because he can tell it's tight. He can tell it's tight, but it's kind of it's it's tight, but it's loose. It's loose enough for it or Swanson to hang on twenty seconds. I guess is what I would say. Um, but here's where things begin to go bad to worse for Cub. Now he gets out of this because it's the it, it ends. But watch, this is when Ortega is going to step here with this foot and he's going to turn his hips over like that. See that? And he's going to come up on top. Now, I like it better when the elbow, I've talked about this ad nauseum, I like it better when the elbow is tucked underneath the body, but you don't need that. You can, you can finish it without it, especially when it's as tight as Ortega's is. And Ortega right here, to me, would have finished him because he would have dropped his hips all the way and absolutely, and here's, he, he lets it go. You can see he had his hips under him, facing the mat. To me, he probably would have finished Cub there. That, to me, was just a bit of a point of no return. Because um, he could have dropped his hips even further and turned away and even more secured it. Or he could have found a way to get on top of the back of that elbow and almost make it like a head and arm triangle kind of feel. But he didn't. But I think I think he probably would have had it continued. So let's go to the second round here and let's see what we see. 158 of the second round. Here he is on a single leg, head outside, close to the fence, leg in between. This is Cub Swanson's leg, obviously. So he eventually lets it go. He tries to wrap the head. Cub Swanson gets a frame in there, so that doesn't go anywhere. And you can see, look, he uh, tries to wrap the head here. But if you wrap too high, if you don't have the correct posture control, they can get behind you. See that? You don't. Uh, that's why this is, again, unless you can really appreciate the, how it goes when someone doesn't do it right, it's like, what's the big deal about wrapping the head the way he did in the first round? Uh, everything. That's why. So he eventually lets us go and then sort of turns and underhooks. And, again, I think there were several times in the course of this contest where they felt each other out and they were like, mm. If you're Ortega, he must have recognized Swanson's posture can be manipulated. So he backs off and drives a knee backing up. That's naturally going to fold someone's posture. That's naturally going to bring them down. Plus, I think he even went for the takedown off the single leg. But either way, even if he hadn't, it would have brought him down. Plus, he's using the right hand to guide him down. So what do you think comes next? The catch. He's going to whip that elbow up and come over the top of this. Look at how deep this is. Shoulder on the back of the neck. You can't even see the neck of Cub Swanson. That is exactly what you want. So many times when guys have guillotines, they kind of wrap at the base of the where the neck meets the head versus just completely bringing your shoulder all the way to their back. 
all the way. Now, this is still not enough. Remember, you want to get your elbow, excuse me, you want to get your thumb to your thumb up to your shoulder, which means a lot of people think you strain backwards for the guillotine. That's the old way of doing it. The more common way, even if you have an arm in, you want to bring that elbow down. You want to you want to turn if you're if you're Brian Ortega. See how this is his left arm. Bring your left arm in the air, right? Like you're almost like do like you're a puppet with a being a, with a marionette. Now just drag your left arm across your body. That that's the scooping motion that you're kind of coming for with with this choke. Here's what's interesting about that though. He didn't really get that. You can see the hand shooting through here. You can see him, by the way, also cupping the back of that arm so that when he snakes it over, I want you to notice this. He brings it over with the catch. It's the same as last time. Once he catches, what's he going to do? He's going to control that posture, keep it down. He's going to pull the back of that elbow so he can sneak behind it. And when he does, he doesn't just pull the elbow back and then just move his arm behind it. He brings his body on top of that. You see that? He drops his head to the side. He brings his ear to the back there. You see that? He Look how high his shoulder is. That's how he rotates it through. Remember I told you when you're here, this is not enough. You got to bring this, you got to drop everything over and that elbow has to be tucked inside. There it is. Perfect. Just like that. Now this is Cub Swanson's elbow, obviously, but you can see how far T-City is just reaching through. It's just so effortless, right? It's a, it's all a process to him. And then when Swanson tries to bring the elbow back, it's too late. He's already caught it, so now he catches it here. Now everything is stuffed and tight. Now you may not stop him from here. You got to put pressure on him, but the catch is in. When did he start the catch? 154. Two seconds later, it is locked. I'm telling you, efficient, efficient, efficient jujitsu, ladies and gentlemen. Super efficient jujitsu. He just does it quickly. I, I can fit the key in the groove effortlessly. So many people think of it this way. They're trying to pick the lock. This guy is like the key master from the Matrix. He's just got the key, just has to find it. And once it slides in, whoop, it just goes right in. It, most people take years to develop the feel for that. Years and years and years and years. And he makes it look like it's anything anyone off the street can do because he makes it look so effortless. So then, here it is. Now you can see Swanson, you can see his spine sticking out. He's going to want to right the posture. He's not going to want to go over. You obviously don't want to have it like this. You want to have everything tucked underneath. Swanson's resisting. Okay, so let's jump. And as he jumps, as you can see here, he pushes off of this to create the space and I think what he wanted to do was not merely create space because you could jump by the fence but I don't think you want to be there but the other part is I think you want to jump onto this head this is the crazy part about it he's leaning the wrong way Swanson is making him do that when you finish this choke you want to be leaning on the other side if I have everything tucked under my left I want to be leaning on my left hip you want to be leaning on the hip where the choking arm is Swanson knows this and is trying to get him to the other side so I want you to appreciate this. Now, Ortega notices this and says, okay, then let's write the posture. So now he's at least even. This is enough to get the tap. This might not be. depends on how like good you are with it. But I want to point out this is not optimal. Under You could say, oh, well, he pulled guard. Sure, but he's leaning off to the side. Now, keep, pay attention to this. Right? Look at that catch he has. Right? Look at the catch he has here. Look at how Swanson can see this guy behind him. He is driving his head down and back with this. And how is he able to do that? Because his catch, that initial catch, this is shoulder to back. It is as deep as you can go. 
because of that, it, even if it sags a little bit, it brings everything down with him. So even if he sags off of that, it doesn't matter. It's not going to pop off unless he just lets his hands go. It's Otherwise, it's, it's Cub Swanson who's keeping this choke afloat. I want to explain here what I mean in just a second. So Swanson's still trying to lean to his own left shoulder because he knows that's the weak side where that could cre help create some weakness in the choke, in the structure of the choke, while backing out and pushing on this leg. And he sits up, okay? And then he adjusts in midair. Now everyone is, a you know, just gaga about this. This is made possible by Cub Swanson. Now it takes someone with some serious balls to just do this while someone is is adjusting this kind of choke. But what is making it possible for him to do this? Two things. Number one, Swanson is trying to right his posture. That is bringing Ortega with him. But again, this is what I'm talking about. What makes it possible is the catch. The catch is so deep that as Swanson writes it, he can't shake it, so, so Ortega just comes up with him. Now, look to me for a second. He tried to go um, palm to palm here, but Swanson gets a hand in there, so he just reaches behind. It could have been a setup just to go behind anyway. You'll see from another angle here in just a second. And he almost lost this. Look at this. He almost He's below the hips here. He's below the waist. He almost loses this triangle, but once he cinches it back up, he drops the weight again, holds his core together, uses his lats, and again... Swanson is the one holding up Ortega here. Ortega's catch is so deep that it's yanking down everything that Cub Swanson wants. So he readjusts here. It's a bad angle, but he readjusts and then readjusts. And look at this choke. He's leaning to the wrong side still. Not his choice. Swanson is forcing him that way, but he's leaning to the wrong side. And he's still off at the wrong angle, but it's so deep as Swanson tries to sit up that that's all she wrote. And he kind of is level by the time he finishes. What's impressive to me about that choke is Swanson put it at the weak angle and he still got it. Here's another look at it, right? Swanson sits up, brings Ortega with him. Look at the catch. It's driving that bicep, that shoulder, driving everything down. He uses that to readjust. Looks like he's going to go hand-to-hand. -hand. Swanson gets a hand up, so he comes behind. Swanson blocks. He just waits so he can wrap over that. That allows him to get more pressure on the back. Look, he kind of is climbing up the back there, right? It's not. He's not just replacing his hand he's scooting ever so much up his chest and shoulder and everything and armpit on the back of the neck the back of the head he's already all the way through sits there and then sits back pushes off at least a little bit it looks like readjusts side to side catches it and then at that point there's a little bit of daylight here but it doesn't matter because it's so far that, that that black here is the glove it's so far through that he's able to come out and get it and squeeze. You can see it's almost it's semi daylight, but there's the tapping hand. It's it's just beyond impressive that he was able to be placed at the opposite angle to get this, and he still got it because that catch was so powerful, weighing so heavily. If this was on the ground, it may not have worked, because what made it work was that I mean it probably still would have it would, the finish would have been differently. But my point being is the position on the ground would have been a real benefit to Cub Swanson, but the catch, the initial catch was so heavy that it forced the neck and uh, head of or uh, Swanson down in a way that it wouldn't necessarily normally do. That resistance, him trying to stand, but it being so deep that it didn't matter uh, that he got the tap in the end. This is what I would call efficient jiu-jitsu. I mean, you're in trouble instantly. You're in trouble instantly. He has to do very little to finish it. Have you noticed that? He has to do very, very little 
to get you in big trouble. Go back to the first round here. One more time. Very simply. One more time. Okay, here. Drives through. Catch. Shoots through. Stuffs. Recinches. Drops. Comes over. Three seconds. So now no, no, we're... Uh, let's see how many we're in here. Yeah. We're in three seconds. Okay, we're at like... Five seconds here. Ten seconds later, look at this. Ten seconds. Ten seconds. He just doesn't have to do a lot to finish once he attempts the initial attack. Because the initial attack sets up a framework for small adjustments to have big conclusions. That is what you call efficient, 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 efficient jujitsu. And he has such a command of the squeeze... That he can even be placed on the wrong hip, readjust in midair, but because his fundamental catch, the 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 this is the basis of the guillotine, is so good that he can do that and still get it. He can readjust, come over the top, and still pull because he's got such a such a grasp of everything. It's almost like a mix of the old style guillotine where there's a little bit of a stretch going on, but it's the new style guillotine where they're stuffing the head and the neck up under them it's a it's a slight combination of both although obviously you know 90 percent 95 percent um the um the more modern type it's just that the legs are kind of having a stretching effect nevertheless that's what stands out to me about brian ortega's jiu-jitsu it's just some of the most efficient in all of mixed martial arts and last but not least let's take a look at what's coming up in the week ahead there are two major events of no well one major one relatively minorish that you should pay attention to. The big one, of course, UFC on Fox 26. UFC on Fox Lawler versus Dos Anjos. This, took to take, this is going to take place, excuse me, at the Bell MTS place in Winnipeg, Canada. In the main event, Robbie Lawler is going to face Rafael Dos Anjos. That should be great. Ricardo Lamas was supposed to fight Jose Aldo. Now he'll take on Josh Emmett. This one I cannot wait for. Santiago Ponzinibbio versus Mike Perry. That should be a hell of a contest. And a big, big one. For Glover Teixeira versus Misha, Misha Serkinov. Look, love that one as well. You move down to the Fox Sports 1 portion of the card. Jan Blahovich versus Jared Cannonier. That should be good. Jul that's going to be a light heavy. Julian Marquez versus Darren Stewart. Chad Laprise versus Galore Bofondo. That's the guy that had the, like, picked him up and slammed. I think it was Charlie Ward um, back in the day. So, also great name, Galore Bofondo. <laughs> love it. Tim Elliott is back. He's going to face Pietro Menga. Uh, John McDessie versus Abel Trujillo. That should be fun. Alessio Di Chirico versus Oluwale Bangbosh. By the way, Oluwale now is um, uh, trained by um, the viral sensation Eric Kelly. That should be fun. Jordan Meehan versus Eric Silva. Nordine Taleb versus Danny Roberts. And then you do have a Bellator card as well. Bellator 191. They seem intent on spending a lot of time in Europe, it turns out, because this one is in Newcastle, England, at the Metro Radio Arena. It's going to have the uh, Bellator debut of bantamweight great Michael McDonald versus Peter Legier. Valerie Letourneau is going to bump up to women's flyweight, taking on Kate Jackson. James Thompson versus Philippe DeFries. Uh, and then Louis Monarch versus Jeremy Petley. Yeah. This is, by the way, a co-promotion with Bama. As well. So there you go. Uh, if I missed anything, you can shoot me an email, lukethomasnews at gmail.com. You can also reach me at uh, Luke Thomas News on Facebook and Instagram as well. Appreciate you guys watching. 
Thank you very much. Like the video, subscribe to MMA Fighting, and until next time, enjoy the fights.